game planning, pitch movement, health, and of course, analytics. New York Mets relief pitcher Trevor May joins this week's show to talk about these topics. Plus, we'll have some fun with bullpen trivia and a supersized mailbag. Beat the Shift is next. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast, presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Doing pretty good. How's your off-season for you thus far? It's been very busy trying to rehash everything that went right and went wrong in fantasy-wise, and also what went right and went wrong with my favorite team and our favorite team, the Mets. Yeah, well, speaking of the Mets, we've got a great guest on for today. He pitches for the Mets. He has pitched uh, seven seasons with the Twins and the Mets, to be specific. He has accumulated 30 career wins, 11 saves, 450 strikeouts in just 378 innings. Last season, he had just a 3.21 Sierra, our favorite ERA estimator, and a 15% swinging strike rate, a career-best O-swing, of 34%. Welcome to the show, Trevor May. How are you, Trevor? I am great. Thanks for having me. Oh, our pleasure. And, you know, before we get into the show, um, just a little bit about you. and What has been the highlight of your career thus far? Highlight of my career? Yeah. Um, you know, probably uh, making it to the big leagues was the number one. Uh, uh, it's funny that we were just talking before the pod about YouTube and doing YouTube uh, YouTube videos. And actually, my next one's on this. Uh uh, the highlight of my career so far, I, I would say um, there's you know there's a, there's a lot of them. I I, I reference a a big kind of um, kind of I'm gonna stay in the big leagues moment as being uh, maybe a career turning point, if you will, um, where my rookie year did not go uh, according to plan in my mind. Um, and you guys being statistical guys, view I mean I'm sure you've seen them, but uh, um, if you were to look right now, you'd be like, wow, yeah, statistically not not great either. Uh, um, and there was a point, I think it was my six or seven start, and uh, I'll never forget it. I had a pattern of behavior in the fourth or fifth innings of every start where I would just kind of, if I was throwing well, I would kind of, you know, that's where the wheels will fall off a little bit. I give up a three or four spot, a crooked number, as if you will, and then uh, kind of short my leash a lot and not really go much deeper into the game. So uh, as a starting pitcher, if a guy's going four and two-thirds every time, you know, at n- now me being a bully-putting guy for the last four years, I know how angry that made me. So I can only imagine what it was like for the bullpen guys when I started. They're like, well, you know, we got to cover five innings tonight, guys. Trevor's starting. So uh, that had been the, the kind of the pattern. Uh, and then seventh or uh, it might have been the eighth, pitching against the White Sox in uh, against Chris Sale. We put up a four spot against him up early, so we were up 4 nothing. And about the fourth inning, wheels started to fall off a little bit again, and, you know, they scored a run, and then they scored another run, and I had no outs, and guys in second and third, and it was 4-2, to two, and I'm beating Chris Sale, and, like, I'm like, you just can't give up. You can't do this when you're facing that guy. Like, you can't – not in a day where you get him. So um, I'll never forget it. Uh, um, Anderson came out, Andy came out and talked to me, and, and Trevor Plouffe met us at the, at the mound, and he said, hey – Basically, like this can either go the way that it's always goes, or you can you can you can quote unquote sack up and uh, get the job done here. And I believe uh, something clicked. I was like, this is a turning point. I can't continue to do what I was doing, and I need to I need to find a way to limit the damage here. 
Um, and this kind of, there's some, I don't know, something slotted into place in my head. Uh, I believe I struck out the side after that to get out of the inning. And ended up throwing six innings for the first time in my career, uh, getting that win and striking out 10. So I set like a, uh, a length and strikeouts and like it ended up being my best start of my career so far. And uh, I just really distinctly remember that moment. So I would say like in my mind when I, you know, answer this question, at least until now, uh, that is a major point in just my development as a pitcher and something that kind of gave me the confidence that I was a major leaguer and then I could, I, I belong there. So it, it's always going to stick out in my mind as one of my favorite moments. Wow, no, that's a that's a great story of perseverance and how you know you're you're well. First of all, you got had four run spot against Chris Sale. That's always got to help, right? Um, yeah, and yeah, and you're able to to really take what you can and say, you know what, I'm I'm gonna get the job done. And and that's that's a fantastic, uh, fantastic there. And you know, we wanted to talk today about uh, some game planning. Um, you know, aside from physical training, aside from you know all the the lifting weights and and regiments and exercise. How do you, in general, prepare for games? And in general, do you say that preparing for a game is more about playing to your strengths or is it more about studying the other team and playing to their weaknesses? Um, I think that that is a very it's, – it's very uh, uh, relative. Um, it depends on that, the second part of your question there, the playing the strengths, playing the weaknesses, and um, I'll, I'll start there. Uh, I definitely play to my own strengths. That is where I default to. Um, so if I don't know a lot about a guy and then the, my information that I have, for example, a guy that, you know, has been was in the lower minor leagues for recently and that kind of blew up and came through, um, which has been the case, especially with the COVID season. A lot there's just not a lot of information on a lot of these guys coming up because they were in low A and they don't have a bunch of, you know, advanced analytics and a lot of heat maps on them and stuff. So uh, um, whenever those guys are kind of in the in the running, it's it's definitely just 100 percent. Hey, here's what I do. Here's what I do. Well, if there's nothing glaring here that says they're really good at hitting fastballs up then i'm just gonna go with it um and right. and and then when you go to a guy like uh you know we'll just we'll use the uh the holy grail of guys that that you gotta kind of go pitch with pitch with and juan soto it's like there's no or a freddie freeman or a ronald acuna or a uh, even an ozzy um that, you know they're at the, this no point. No Bryce now. Harper there. He just won the MVP. Or 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 yeah, or Bryce <laughs> Harper, right? Um um and and or and I'll throw like these guys are for me are like Devers, uh, Harper, like the lefties with very little like holes in their swing, right? Um or or don't swing and miss a lot in general. Uh, uh those I'm a swing and miss guy. I know that's my yes. major strength. I think that's the first thing they would put. They would put Trevor May dash swing and miss guy, um, yes. in my scouting report. And so I I have to rely on that because um. That's the type of pitcher I am. And uh, when I go and look at a guy or look at information, a guy heat maps, what they do well, what they hit, what they hit the hardest um, and, and how well they do against pitches that are comparable to mine and where they hit those pitches. Um, I, I game plan guys with no, no real holes, which pretty much everyone has some sort of big hole that you can exploit to an extent guys like Devers and, and Soto has nothing. There's like, there's no like, I'll go to this. He he'll go with me, and I might be able to get him to swing and miss once at this. That he doesn't have that even. It's like uh, you get O two on him, and you feel the exact same way. So those guys, you have to uh, uh, read the at bat and stay with the thing that you're most confident in that day more than anything, because it doesn't matter which if it's your str strength or weakness, he doesn't right. care. So right. uh, uh, there's only you know there's one of those guys in every lineup, and uh, being a guy that's going to face hopefully get three outs in a game. Um, you you got to find a way to not let him beat you, and so uh, I'll I'll basically re 
I'll basically have a plan in my head. Like I'm going to stay with these two two strongest pitches, usually slider, fastball, and um, um, if they're not super strong on changeups, I'll be like, we will hold this in the back pocket, but we will only use it when when the other two have been like it's going the the AB is going long. We got to start busting out everything. Like that is generally how it is, um, but I would say you know. Uh, uh, that's how you like whatever gives you the conviction and you learn that over time and and I, it's always changing like every time i get new new teammates for example i start to rethink how i'm approaching things because so sometimes you just slot yourself in like you assume stuff about yourself that necess- may necessarily not be true you add a you add a weapon that you haven't been thinking about that that hasn't been slotted into your game plan at all ever and you're finding ways to make that the focus and you have to make those adjustments uh and talking to a guy like seth lugo for example that guy we get to the same kind of end point like our what we do really well against the, what they don't do well but we do it completely different ways right. <laughs> so uh he taught me a lot about that or about the way he went about things and uh i was able to take a few things here and there from him as well and it's always interesting talking pitching with him because we're so different and so similar at the same time and you actually you actually mentioned in a recent video that your goal is to throw certain pitches in certain areas. Does that change when you're trying to construct a game plan versus a certain team? Yeah. So I would say uh, so the, here's the interesting thing about that, and I think that um, uh, this is a very uh, big distinction to make. Um, though that the, I call it the spots. It's not just like you pick. You basically create a default template of yourself. You create a map of. If I'm ideally, where do I, what do I want my heat map to look like? Um, and because I know, because you know what pitches you throw the best and where to throw them generally when you're in the major leagues, like generally. Um, and young guys who haven't made, I can't answer that question very clearly. Like the first thing you need to do is answer that question clearly. Who are you? Like, what are you trying to do? And uh, it's funny because we had the, I had a very, this very clear conversation with two guys this year, uh, Joey Lucchese. Uh, before you know he went down with Tommy John and uh, Anthony Banda and when he was with us he was only up with us for about mm, eight or nine days but he was talking to Seth and I about like because he wasn't used to pitching out the pen he's like how like how are you guys preparing like what are you trying what do you know before you're going in like how are you going to attack guys and basically I just said hey man spots you have your default settings what if you had to get a thousand dollars if I said I'll give you grant a a grand if you can throw tell me each one of your pitches and then Tell, tell me where in the box that you think you can throw that with the highest possibility that you're going to hit the spot. Those are your defaults. So like Joey, for example, has three pitches. And I was like, okay, where do you want to throw your fastball? He's like, all right, down away from righty. I'm like, you want to hit that bottom left corner? Yes. Okay, your churve, change up curve. We don't need to explain what the churve is. He made it up. But uh, uh, it's a good pitch and it's a, it's a curveball. It's just goofy. Um, and I'm like, where do you want that? He's like, bottom of the zone. Middle, maybe down and into a righty, but like that is my, I'm like, great. Cutter, where do you want to throw that? Up and into a righty. Great. Those are your three defaults. Like you're getting so worried about everything else. Just go out there with the idea that you're going to hit those defaults. Don't worry about the hitters. And then as you get confident that you can hit those spots, then you expand off of it. So when I say my, I look at my spots, I've expanded mine because I feel like I, I'm very confident in my defaults. Um, and then you, then you, then you start pitching after that. You're like, okay, I always have my default to go back to now. Let's go, let's apply this to each guy individually and let's see how we expand to who like certain guys right. swing off the plate more certain guys chase only below the zone and never chase off. Um, how does your breaking ball even move? Because if you, what, what does a strike to ball look like? Is it, 
you know, in the zone and then off the plate? Is it in the zone below the plate? Is it in the zone then above the plate? Like, where is it? Where does that exist? And where can you conceivably do it based on how your ball moves? Right. Um, because if you're if you're trying to throw a sweeping slider and you don't throw a sweeping slider and you're like, why is no one swinging to this? It's because it's the ball the whole time, man. It's been off the plate the whole time. And that was never over the plate. So that guy isn't going to swing at that because he that's something he recognizes really well as seen by his heat maps because he never swings at it, right? Like that kind of stuff. That's like the next level, I think. And, and you, you, you know what I like most about your response is that you we're talking about you preparing for games and you're giving us how you're helping other teammates prepare and 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 you're 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 basically telling your game plan and teaching it at the same time to other people that, that's just so fantastic i feel like that and there is a little bit of selfishness in there because it helps reinforce it for me too it like makes me like there's always a little bit like i hope what i'm saying isn't bullshit <laughs> If, pardon right, my French if right. I can't swear. But I hope I'm not BSing right now um, that it actually works. And then when they go out and they do it, and you're like, ah, I am helping. This that is, that yeah. is like that, this is valid. Like this because it's so weird when you're doing it and you're doing it for yourself. Yeah, it may work for you, but there's no telling whether or not it works for everybody. Um, but I, I what I try to do is try to make it as broad and as general as possible, like having a default, because that's something everyone has. You can think about it differently however you want. Every all the pitches might be different, but having a default setting. Where you're like, wow, I know nothing about this team. At least you have a default that you can go back to. You're like, these are the things. I'm going to stick with these and then see what happens and learn from there and then deal with whatever the consequences of that are. But um, so that is uh, that is like a lot of the conversations we have. And Seth is very similar in that he's like, he wants to know how guys are swinging. He's just very like, he's very like specific. Like, uh, how do these guys hit fastballs under 92 because he throws a sinker? And he's like, that moves this much, right? Because he's like, I don't throw a true sinker. I throw a two seam, but it's slower. So I'm going to go by the velo and the, the movement. How do they swing at pitches like this? And then how do they swing at my four seam 95 plus? So if I have a 95 plus, I know that I can go up here with this. So he, he like expands it, but it's like his criteria for what he's looking for, completely different than mine. Now, I also saw... I also saw on your YouTube channel that you're a little bit of a gamer. I have heard that some other major leaguers actually play MLB The Show to try out a game plan and see how accurate it can actually be. Have you yes, learned you anything from playing video games? Uh, a little bit. Actually, now that I've gotten kind of, I've been playing MLB The Show a lot more this offseason because I have a, like a fun series where I made all my gaming friends in the game. And now, now they're a team and we're, we're trying to win the World Series with the Mariners, which is, you know. Uh, like really hard to do in real life. So uh, we'll see if we can do it visually. Uh, but now that I'm playing a lot and then I've noticed that the hard, cause I'm getting higher kind of in the difficulty that it gets more and more realistic. <laughs> like, like the pitches start to get faster and faster and look like they're in the zone and then they're not. And certain guys have better, you know, like Scherzer's really hard to hit for that reason. Not just because the stuff's like moving more, physically like in the game it's literally they the way they created the difficulty is by trying to mimic actual pitching and hand positions and stuff as much as possible so i'm realizing like man hitting's really hard and strikeouts like it's a video game i used to always play when i was a kid like you know on medium or semi-medium or easy right i and played rbi baseball all the years <laughs> yeah, there you go and 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 but now that i'm like trying to make it realistic i i do see a lot of the dichotomy there and it's super interesting um and and kind of fun because sometimes i need to get out of my own head like okay i made this guy to be like a sinker like i i made one of the guys to be very similar to the way halliday pitched with like a curveball sinker cutter front door and back door and constantly right just just painting in and out 
and I have to get out of my own head that fastballs up aren't a thing for him, man. Just you don't throw fastballs up with him because <laughs> he gets crushed. And, uh, uh, and I gave him a little two seam that's a little harder so he can take that chance every once in a while. But I can't sit up there. But then I made me, and I made it in, in my image that I think of me in the he- in my head. And my forcing fastballs just swung and missed it constantly. The slider's kind of inconsistent, but really good break break wise. And uh, uh, my splitter that I'm or a split changeup that I'm trying to kind of mess around with now is there. And my circle changeup is is good, and I have good command of it, but doesn't move at all. Like that's right. how I perceive myself. Uh, and, and and so I pitch accordingly um, and see how good I can be. And it's funny because it shakes out pretty similarly to the real life, which is pretty funny. Yeah, it's technology is amazing. You know, you you mentioned a lot about about your, your how you're teaching others on your team, but what have you specifically learned from your current teammates, if you can say maybe either an attitude, uh, maybe a specific pitch, or maybe even just a specific grip of the ball? Uh, yeah. So, um, a couple things. Uh, mentality wise, uh, Aaron Loop was was had a, an incredible year but he was he was he wasn't doing anything um i think out of out of his own like he didn't change anything from the past versions of himself he just was executing his plan that he's been trying to execute for a long time a lot better than he has ever before then he kind of said that to me he was just like yeah dude i'm just aiming i'm letting I've been told all of my pitches move a lot, um, and they are. They're like he's in the top percentile and horizontal movement with everything. Um, and when that's the case, he goes, I'm just trying to kind of throw it right down the middle and let the one move in to a righty and one move away and vice versa. And I'm just, again, that's his default. That's how he defaulted, and he just let his stuff work. And so, like, that's kind of helped me reinforce again. Like, I don't need to move my sights constantly around the zone um, it can be more general, uh, and it's just about execution at that point. If you're constantly hitting the spot, you're just going to have a great year. Like, And so I focused a lot more on trying to make myself feel physically as good as I possibly could this year. Like That was a huge focus for me. Um, consistently having feeling like I have energy, feeling like my arm's recovering, feeling like, like, you know, like I'm ready to go every single night. Um, that was a big uh, uh, focus for me. As I move through, just to, I'm always trying to figure out how to be as consistent as humanly possible. Whether that's you know you you have a three and you give up a run every three games, but you're so consistent, right? Uh, I'd rather do that than be the guy who goes, you know, ten scoreless and then gives up a seven spot out of nowhere um, and has no idea how to get anybody out that day. I, I, I that that that's the nightmare. Um, that's the uh, the season killer, as we call it in the bullpen. So um, and then grips. Um, I'm actually messing around with a little combination of Stroman's uh, new kind of little split change and uh, Carrasco's change. So just just seeing seeing what uh, what I can do there because I throw extremely straight change up my highest carry. My lowest vertical movement pitch this year was a high changeup. Higher than my fastball, which is just not acceptable to me. <laughs> so, right. uh, um, just trying to get more of a depth or even a running uh, option there, and and messing around, and doing some pitch design this offseason. So that's a good place to start because those both those guys have very good split changes that have a lot, a lot, a lot of depth on them. Earlier this year, we actually had Stefania Bell on, and we discussed a couple of people who had Tommy John surgery. You're already four years removed from it. When did you start feeling yourself again? And was do you think it was easier because you were relieving and not starting? Uh, I would say that's a great question. I um, I would say it's it started to come around in 2019. Um, 
towards the end of 18, there were there were glimpses. I think it was back into like 94 average, um, 95. I think it got a 96 towards the end. I remember my first outing back on 18. I was like 91, 92, which is just not like I saw that. And I was like, oh, no. Um, but yes, I think I think really I think that going to the, into the pen um, allowed me to get there a little bit quicker. You're just you have a little bit more, especially now the way the game's played. You just have a little bit more. Um, that getting in that mindset set where you're just gonna go out and kick up dust and like you know give 100% on every single pitch that allows your arm to bounce back or see what you have in the tank quicker than if you're a starter and you that's not necessarily the way you pitch um, and then the style of pitching too it's like getting an opportunity to work through those things as a starter just isn't as easy to do these days because um, of the way that starters are handled like you're gonna go five anyways right for a lot of times um, and you're just not gonna be able to face the the, the guys third time through the order and I don't think that lined up very well with me being able to go out and be super you know hyper competitive high emotion um and so I think that's why the bullpen kind of spoke to me for a lot of times but actually I, I got moved to the pen because I moved myself um a lot of people don't know that uh I was coming off Tommy John I, my Vila was not back it was 90 91 uh and I wasn't throwing much harder than that but I was definitely being able to get in the mid 90s I wasn't doing it anymore um, at that point, and I was in AAA, and every other starter on that team was on the 40-man roster. They were all like 22, 23. I was 28. Um, I'm like, they're not going to rush me up if I'm not looking great. So, you know, I'm just going to get – I'm in danger of being stuck here um, if I don't do something else. And so I said, hey, look, put me in the pen. Let me get my velo back. We'll see what happens. You know, I think 25 days later, Ryan Presley got traded as the fifth person traded that year at the deadline, and uh, I got the call up then, and I haven't looked back since. And since then, have you done anything differently to keep yourself healthy during the course of the year? Um, you know, a, a variation of things. I, I've I've cut down a lot of things that I deemed uh, unnecessary for me. We've we've I've I've spoken to a lot of different strength coordinators and and people uh, in that world uh, with like how my body moves and why I am the way that I am. With I'm not very mobile. That's something I have to focus a lot on to, in order to stay healthy. But I am just naturally strong. I don't have to. I don't have to lift weights like other guys do to to in order in order to uh, uh, produce the velocity that I have. Um, and I I, I lift weight uh, very very rarely. Um, I do a lot of body weight stuff and just a lot of like range of motion movement. Like moving my body is what I do a lot of. Um, but I don't do a lot of like the traditional. Uh, weightlifting, as as a lot of people say, because I I just never I never saw any tangible benefit for me instead except getting tighter and being generally the same st strength. Uh, and so those things have helped me stay healthy. Focusing really hard on after you're done throwing, uh, what you're doing with your arm care, listening to your body. Um, recently, I've taken days off when I can. Uh, Jeremy Hefner is an amazing, he's really, really great at um, being very clear when you're not going to pitch that night um, and managing workload that way and making sure that guys can take mental breaks is the same. So whenever I got those days where I woke up and he's like, hey, you're, you just take the, take the day and relax your brain. You are not going to get in this one. I wouldn't throw. I'd be like, all right, let's just, let's just take a whole day off of throwing too and, and see how that feels. And that went a long way. Um, the season's just a lot. It's just so much. Um, and uh, we're, there's, we can do less and less to, uh, to stay healthy, uh, uh, by other means, so you you got you got to get the rest when you can get it. You know, you're talking about rest, and uh, you know, 
sometimes the uh, relievers are called upon to pitch a couple days in a row, and sometimes they get an extended rest time. Maybe you could be out seven days before you have uh, two different two out two consecutive outings. Do you find having extra time with those extended rests to be good for you, bad for you, and does that differ between you and other relievers, or is it generally the same thing? Uh, that varies wildly. Um, okay. I would okay. say that for me, uh, getting getting more than three days off. So if I don't pitch, if I get three games in a row not pitching a three game series, um, that is pretty much my limit before I got to get off the mound again um, because I'll get rusty. So I had a couple times where I got five six days off, and I actually felt just as bad <laughs> as I did wow. uh, the week before, just because you have more energy, but you don't necessarily have the feel or the uh, um, adrenaline or even like the recency bias of like having a sometimes like throwing well recently snowballs into your next outing like you can still you still have that feeling of like things are clicking um, that's when guys get on rolls and if you kind of if that gets broken up because either you're just killing you're just destroying a team or like you're just not getting in for whatever reason sometimes that can be a uh, a, a, a struggle um, right. and uh, but I, I've, I've been able to narrow it into a good like three days off at that point I either need to pitch in the game or I need to at least go warm up and again get off the mound a little bit right how about that Tyler Matzik he wants like three three uh, hours off between starts between uh between outings uh, that guy goes every I don't day. I don't understand um uh, yeah you know what yeah he's just he's yeah I know he, he he's riding heavy he's riding high off the old playoffs yeah. he, he, <laughs> we, we, you can't fool me bro uh I'll talk talk to me in April how you're feeling after right. you just played in November uh also congratulations uh but yeah. no it, it's uh that's that I like that mindset you know I think he showed that a lot out there when he was out there playing too um you you just got to have the uh, uh screw it we'll just deal with how we feel after like that's right. kind of what we do um and uh, you try to get that to last for as long as humanly possible right all right well we've come to the show it's time for the injury gurus trivia of the week So we're actually going to do a little bit something different this time. We're actually going to play a game that comes from Stump the, it's a Stump the Schwab style game called Leadoff. Stump the Schwab was a game show that was on ESPN2. For those who don't know, ESPN2 and ESPN Classic from July 2004 to September 2006. The show featured three contestants trying to, beat How trying to defeat Howie Schwab, ESPN's first statistician, in a sports trivia contest. The late and great Stuart Scott happened to be the host as well. Each topic list will have multiple answers. Actually, it's going to be 10 per question. Players will take turns naming the members of the list. Each correct answer is worth one point. If a wrong answer is given, that player is out for the rest of the topic. The player with the most of the points at the end of the three rounds wins. Any questions? Am I playing? Gonna be, you're going to play against each other. Yeah, oh, okay. I'm going to be the host. You guys are going to be playing against each other. All right. And it's wow, geared I did not toward this. Let's get it. It's it's <laughs> geared it's geared toward relief pitchers. And, you know, just for some reason, that's what I did. So the first topic we're gonna do is top ten NL relievers in holds last year. The top ten leaders in holds from the National League last year. Um, Trevor, you can go first. Uh, Tyler Rogers. Tyler Rogers is number three. He had thirty mm -hmm. holds. Uh, holds. That's one. All right, Blake Trinan. Blake Trinan led the league with 32 holds. I know who's in second, Luke Jackson. That's correct. Luke Jackson had 31. 
I'm not going to win this then, if you know that. Uh, Devin Williams. Devin Williams was number nine with 23. A.J. Minter. Good one. A.J. Minter was tied with him with 23. Uh, Tyler Matzik. Tyler Magic, 24. Yeah, the Braves had a lot, dude. (laughs) Yeah. If you had to be half, if you're a good team, you had a lot. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So there are Um, four more. Okay. There's another giant. I know it. I don't know who it would be, though. Um, I have my next. Who else was the setup guy and was very good? Uh,. There's so many teams that, that I'll give you a hint, saves though. and stuff. I'll, I'll give okay. you a hint. Think of the good teams. The teams that, that came close to the playoffs, that had the opportunity to have a lot of holds. Okay. I have my next guess. Close to the playoffs. I know there's no Mets. I know that for a fact. Uh, you had, by the way, you had, you had 16. You had 16. Yeah. You and you ranked 20. You ranked 20. If you didn't say yourself, I wasn't going to guess you. <laughs> yeah, who? How, I, this is for later, but yeah, what bullpen had the most freaking decisions? Because I bet you were pretty up there in that. Yeah, uh, yes, 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 you were. Um, uh, uh, come on, quick, 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 uh, fast. I'm trying to go through divisions. Um, you, uh, oh, uh, Kendall Grayman. No, that Dang is it. incorrect. Uh, I'm gonna go with Giovanni Gallegos. Giovanni Gallegos was number one, two, three, four, fifth with twenty six. All right, Ariel, can you name any more? Because um, the guy in the pirate, David Bednar. Nope, and uh, not, not enough wins. Not enough wins. Other other pitchers on this list: Genesis Cabrera with twenty eight. Brad Boxberger with twenty three, and Richard Blyer had twenty for the Miami Marlins. Wow. Yeah, I wouldn't have gotten those. Wow. Would have gotten those. Next right. category is NL relief pitchers war top 10 for this past year top 10 in war NL relief pitchers for this year Ariel you can go first this time Josh Hader number one uh Giovanni Gallegos number two at 2.2 Josh Hader at 2.6 I'm gonna go with Craig Kimbrell number three at 2.1 is Aaron Loop on here Ten, maybe? Close. He's got to be close. Aaron Loop? Yes, he's in the list. He is ranked. Let's go. I uh, have wow. one, two, three, four, five, six, seventh with one uh, a war of 1.6. I'm going to go with Kenley Jansen. Kenley Jansen is, not is yes, right above Aaron Loop with 1.8. Blake Trinan. Blake Trinan also tied with Kenley Jansen, 1.8. That was a good bullpen. I'm going to take your teammate Edwin Diaz. Edwin Diaz, number four, with, an, with a war of two. Dang. Boy, Shug. Getting thin now. Uh, Melanson? Melanson did not make the list. Not the top ten. Luke Jackson? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll go with uh, um, um, the the Braves closer. Um, what's his name? Will Smith. Uh, uh, Will Smith. Will Smith did not make the list. Oh, pitchers, really? Pitchers you missed: Devin Williams, one point four. Oh. Oh, okay. War and AJ Minter and Tyler Rogers tied at one point three. Ooh. Okay. 
So right now the score is Ariel, you have nine, and Trevor, you have seven. And Trevor, you go first in this category. This is the completely random category. This is most wins in relief by an NL relief pitcher. Top ten. This is a completely random category because it's just completely random. Jerry's familiar. Jerry's familiar was number three with nine. (laughs) With nine wins. I'm going to go with Trevor May. Trevor May I'm, made the list. At number yes. se- he had said you had seven wins. <laughs> that was tied for the top top ten. I think fig- I figured uh, Ruvain would put you on one of these lists at least. Yeah, gotta be. Yeah. 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 Um, who else? Um, oh, someone had the number one. It was over ten, or it had to be ten. Um, and number I saw one, number one had number one had twelve. Whoa. Oh, who, who was it? Oh my God, I've seen this. Um, they were, I think they were in the playoffs. Were they in the play, they were a playoff team? Yes. Was it Tyler Rogers? Tyler Rogers is on the list. He also had seven. Yeah, I'm going to go back to Devin Williams here. Devin Williams had eight. Yep. AJ Minter had a lot, didn't he? Is AJ Minter. Final, is that your yeah, final I, answer? Yeah. Yeah. That is incorrect. He is not on yeah. the list. I'm going to go with Giovanni Gallegos. He is also not on the list. Ah, jeez. <laughs> the leader in NL wins for the National League this past year, Brent Suter with 12. Brent, Brent Suter, there it was. Wow. Yeah, we played Alex him right Reyes at the end. That's had 10. And I know Kittredge had a lot in the AL. And Chris Stratton, Daniel Bard, Archie Bradley, Jose Alvarado all had seven along with you, Trevor, and Tyler Rogers. Oh, wow. wow. So final score is 11 to 9. Ariel, you won this. Oh, wow. Round. All right. But how about this? A bonus three point question. What was Aaron Loop's favorite beer post-victory? <laughs> I don't know this. It's Bush Light. That's correct. <laughs> he got a neon sign in his locker. That's pretty hard to miss. That's, that's it. He, he oh, look, on, I he won! Was on, he was, he was on his, <laughs> totally not he, Every Zoom he was on, you saw that can of beer there. So, uh, yeah. That's yeah. right. That's right. I, I, I didn't pay too much attention to it, but yeah, wow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. That, that, that was great moving. I hope you enjoyed that, Trevor. That was great. I love that. That was yeah. awesome. Well, I'll talk a little bit about uh, analytics, going, going about more about numbers here. But, uh, you know, um, you talk a lot about analytics on, on your show, the Trevor May Show on, on, uh, on YouTube. Uh, and you've developed a stat called CQR. Could you explain to everybody uh, what that is and how it actually helps you become a better pitcher? Yeah, so CQR, and I almost put a plus at the end, but I realized that actually has a point, uh, and I didn't have a point for it. I just wanted it to look cool. Uh, CQR <laughs> is— uh, Well, the plus, of course, uh, is, is just where it, it, uh, the, the average is 100 for the league. Exactly. It's just scaled. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, that doesn't apply here. You right. can't make your thing look cooler, Trevor. Just go with CQR. So CQR is uh, quali- or, uh, sorry, command quality ratio. That's how I call it, um, what I call it. And uh, basically, it is the number of times— that the standard for me in my in my head is I go back and watch all my outings. I know pretty much the moment I walk off the field how many pitches I threw, um, and how many of those pitches we were. Uh, uh, basically, did I execute my command plan? Where did I throw it where I wanted to? Did I execute my plan well? Um, this is within I, I usually use a standard of within two inches of the spot because pitching's hard and it's not easy. You don't just stick it every time uh but uh and i would give myself a one out of one in that situation if um i'm in a spot where i don't quite hit hit the spot 
but I do miss in a in a uh, uh, low risk high re- high reward way, aka O2 fastball up and away, um, and I miss above the zone to where it's very low chance of it being hit really hard, but also very high chance of it being swung and missed at. Um, that would be a quality. I'd give myself a half a point on that. Um, and uh, the same thing with, uh, for example, you get O2, you throw a fa- I throw a fastball. I'm trying to go up and away in the, like, in the corner of the zone or off the plate, um, and I throw it right down the middle. He still swings and misses. That's still zero because I didn't execute the plan, I didn't execute the pitch. It's uh, It was a way for me to separate um, my pitching performance with the traditional stat- statistical results because there's just too many variables, as you guys very well know, that go into ERA and, well, everything, honestly. Sure. Um, um, and most things are, especially for a reliever, more than almost any other position, everything's out of my hands except for when I throw the ball. So um, even winning and losing most of the time. So... Yeah. Uh, 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 we have the least amount of effect on that, um, or or at least unless we struggle. Um, so basically, I would go through and I would I would I would re relive it again, and I would be um, as uh, uh, kind of cold and calculated about it as possible and objective, and, and give myself an honest uh, percentage uh, ratio, if you will. So um, built out that ratio through the season, and I realized that. Um, I found a pattern. I wanted. I was looking for patterns mostly. I'm like, so what? Where's the line where I'm having more tradition? Like the the results are 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 good as well, as opposed to more often or not than not the results are bad if I'm not my CQR is below a certain uh, percentage. And so I started to um, notice that as around sixty percent for me. Um, that's that that number that line is going to change because of you know the 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 aforementioned stuff. Um, I can get away with a lot of other things that other guys might not be able to. And there's also guys that can get away with even more than I can. So like their, their ratio might be lower that they're aiming for. Um, and, and their command isn't as good because they either throw really hard or they're violent or whatever, you know, whatever it is, they're effectively wild, if you will. So different factors can, uh, uh, do these things, but you got to get a sample size to figure out where that line is. I found that 60% was kind of a target. If I wanted to be above 60% on average, I think that that will translate into a very high, that would be a better year than normal for me, which is what I'm always trying to accomplish. I would like to improve every single year. Um, and uh, I ended up being about 57%. I started doing it in, in May, like actually had this idea and started to track it. But the, the exciting part and something I'm actually working on a video right now about is um, I actually do a lot of uh, tracking my uh, you know athletic data to my physical data with a whoop and with a, an aura ring. I wear them both when I pitch. They give you tons of data, and I started to t- attach my ability to command the ball with how I felt. Um, that day. It gives me a pretty good measure of how well did I sleep the night before? Did that produce uh, a lower ability to throw the ball where I wanted to? And it turned out that yes, yes, it definitely does. Uh, not in the biggest way ever, but like it was a six, seven percent, you know, on average uh, uh, jump, which is a lot. Could be enough, um, yeah. you know, that's a, a, a pitch plus of a 20 pitch outing um if you just need one more pitched really well commanded and if you can't get that because you're tired then that that's enough to you know get that extra two hours of sleep the night before so uh i've been we've been tracking that stuff and i'm actually working with one of our analytics guys at the mets who is just kind of trying to attach actual um, um biomechanics data and movement of the pitches as well did your break on your slider go down also when you weren't commanding 
Uh, how was your, was your stuff moving more or less or weirder or different? Was that affecting the command or was it, or, and was your physical data affecting your movement? How are these things correlating with each other? And logic says that, yeah, of course they're going to correlate, but how much do they correlate? So that's the really interesting part to me. I haven't really come up with the conclusions yet and you got to stay tuned for the YouTube video, but, um, it was a really, really nerdy thing to do. I did, I did it in that I was done pitching. What I, 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 I organized all this stuff the second to last day of the season. Basically, half told me, "Hey, you're you're done. Like you just pitched three out of four, and we're done in two days. So we're just not going to pitch." I'm like, "Okay, cool. I'm going to work on this spreadsheet," uh, and uh, and that's what CQR is. I came up with that. I, I I think it's a really interesting way. I think that kids can just do it at home too. That that was another kind of motivation for me. Uh, when you, if you if you think about command is the most important thing when you're young i think that that could take you really far um in baseball so i thought it would be a really interesting thing to teach because i would love to teach kids more when i'm done playing or towards the end of my career too uh and i thought that that would be an interesting thing that they could also do because you don't necessarily you don't need you don't need like a track man to do it you can just you just need a behind the you know behind the camera or behind the uh pitcher camera uh, and out in center field, you could do it for a little league game. So it was interesting. It was an interesting concept. I think it's. Uh, I think there's a, something there. I think that it's it's going to be really helpful moving forward. Well, I, I like CQR for three reasons. One, because it's a uh, nerdy, which uh, we're nerds here, so that that, that always scores points. Uh, number two, and this is a mathematical reason why it's good, is that you know ERA, the the divisor is innings, or you know even even if you're talking about strikeout rate, it could be per at bat or per per plate appearance. But when you're talking about at the level of per pitch, that is the mo- there is more data because the sample size is so much larger larger things uh converge a lot faster like if you have a whole season you pitched this year you threw 1117 pitches okay that's a pretty big sample size as opposed to saying just 63 innings you know yeah. the sample size is bigger and you can get a much bigger feel for how it's going in season right like the the, the stats become meaningful after just a couple of out, outings not mm-hmm. not a whole season. ERA takes uh, much longer to uh, to stabilize. So I, I like yeah. that for that reason. And the other thing is, it sounds very similar to a metric that I created called WPDI. And the thing about WPDI is where you, we're tracking three questions: Do you pitch? Is a pitch in the zone or out of the zone? Did the batter swing or not? And did they make contact? And just those three questions. Um, there's different possibilities. Like you can throw out of the zone with a swing and a miss. You can throw in the zone and no swing. Just looking at the percentage of pitches that you throw in each zone and comparing them to other major league players actually tells a lot. So, yeah. for example, you have uh, you're in the 95th percentile of in the zone swung on and missed. Like one only one out of 20 pitchers in Major League Baseball have less of a percentage of pitchers that are in the zone and swung on and missed, just like you. Uh, that's something you're executing well. Um, you also do very well of out of the zone swung on and no contact. To me, that's even better because if you're generating swings out of the zone, I mean they're not going to square up on that as well. Uh, so, and and you're in the 85th percentile of that one. So that's a statistic that I made up that just tracks what percentage of the pitchers are going to which locations and are they swinging and making contact or not, and that tells a lot. So I think there's some corollaries between your stat and what I have, so that's why I enjoyed hearing about that. I love it. I love it. I, I, love, the, I love that too because I think that what, like what would be valuable as, for example, to an actual team, 
uh, uh, when you say those things is it gives you an idea of, especially if you like have it on guys in double A, high A, low A that aren't necessarily your top prospects that you're monitoring very closely, but you're like, for some reason, these there's outliers here in these yes. zones and they're yes. always swinging. What about, and then we know enough now about movement and biomechanics and physics of how baseball moves and why guys or swing it with and stuff and why they don't swing at other things. You know more about that, that it can then lead you to concrete data on those things that then you can find and say, let's develop you with these strengths in mind. And then, and that's, I mean, I'm just, all I'm telling you right now is that's what the Rays do. And that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then that's, right. that's why they, you know, uh, uh, I am a player and I don't like this part of things, but that's why they just don't have to pay anybody, but they get the results and then, you know, let you go make your money from another team that's just kind of how it worked how they've been doing it but it's working for them and yeah. uh um, they figured something out well i mean and everyone's searching for their own version of that based on you know the resources they have at their disposal but um it is it's pretty 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 kind of foolproof way to to approach things it's a good really good process right right and, you know and one thing the rays have done in the past two years or so is they get pitchers who have very weird or very different arm slots or angles and they're coming in all the way from the left all the way from the right and you know something that that you've talked about and maybe you can explain a little bit is that you know generating horizontal movement on pitches is a very large key to generating whiffs um and, and it's probably more important than vertical movement up and down could, could you explain why you think that um, now, yes, horizontal in the last couple of years yeah okay um um and, and it's hilarious that you said that because the word sweeper has now become like extremely googled <laughs> from right. PP baseball people uh sweeping breaking balls uh hard like like blake trying and changing his going from throwing tons and tons of cutters to the bigger moving slider changing things to get the more the bigger movement the 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 chaz row effect right um and guys are going for that because this because people adjust and everyone's throwing fastballs up and the complement to a fastball up is a depth breaking ball or a depth. So so people throwing crazy amounts of breaking balls. They're seeing so many breaking balls. They're seeing so many fastballs up that you're like, this is all I get. This is all there is now, like in the baseball. So now hitters are starting to adjust a little bit, and they're not being as effective. Um, cat and um, mouse game there. Cat and mouse game. So now the adjustment is, okay, now we want the strike to ball to be uh, um, as much off the plate as it is, as it was below now. So the the thing about pitches off the plate, like away from a right, a slider breaking away from a guys guy, so we'll chase that. You physically can't hit it. So like, there's no there's no foul ball happening there. There's no like, there's no fouling it off. There's no fighting it off. And that is a uh, that's that's like the ultimate absolute you know uh, uh, um, uh, result is like when the ball isn't touched at all, it's a sw- it's just a strike. Like there's no nothing can happen after that, and so you want that. Um, and then what complements that? The opposite movement. So uh, it's not sinker as much as it's laminar two seam, or it's something that's running way in on guys. Uh, but the the weird complement thing of that is like guys who throw that, you just generally get balls off the barrel, but you do give up more contact than the you know perceived upward movement, the rise ball per se. That gets more swing and misses, but it also is hit harder when it is hit so like 
this is the cat and mouse we're playing now. Um, and I'm not going to lie, the sweeper idea, I've never thrown anything with a ton of uh, horizontal movement, except for a cutter I threw when I was like a rookie, or like my slider. It was a cutter. It was like just a little baby slider. Um, and it actually had more horizontal than depth. And uh, it's the first pitch. I, I had to look way back to 2014 to look it up and see that. But um, nothing I've thrown up to that has ever had, let's say, a baseball savant number that was red. <laughs> in horizontal I, it's <laughs> always blue because uh, i'm such a, a, a north to south guy which still plays um and still will play like it's just not, it's not even something like it's the, the fastball up is always going to be something that's like i see it and it's the big eyes the i can hit that oh no i can't like that's the effect of, of the swing and that's not going to go away hitters are always getting big eyes when they see something they can hit so that's it's going to be there it's just the guys that are able to foul it off or at least like when i come into a game in the eighth inning the the the, the Blue Jays did this to me this year. Through first outing against him, got two punch outs, a uh, hold, and a, a really good inning. Next time I pitched against him, it was like Teoscar and 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 uh, Bo and and uh, um, all those guys, and they were just heating, hunting heaters up. And they all three of them got singles on fastballs up out of the zone. And I was like, man, I should have made the adjustment a little bit earlier today. And Simeon actually did too. So. I was like, maybe I should have known that immediately when Marcus Simeon's swinging at something on his chin and he hits it, because it's just not his bread, you know, bread and butter usually. Um, I should have known at that point that the game plan was, hey, let's take this away from him, right? And so now guys are countering that with that sweeping breaker, and uh, it's really interesting to me. And I'm going to see if I can throw one. I was at that game actually on su the Sunday one. Oh yeah, in Toronto. Yeah, and we won. Yes, we you did. You know who who came in and saved me? McNeil. And, uh, McNeil got the hit in, in that game. And McNeil, and McNeil, yeah. Yes. But uh, a loop got us out of that uh, out of right. that inning too. So and Rich, I think Rich Hill started the game also. Yes, Rich first yep. game over because yeah. I was at, I was at the game also. Oh, I that's I, right, you were a Ruve. That's I right. think I I, I recorded. I think Alonzo hit a, hit a homer to left, so yes, I, I did yeah. record that. I saw that. So there you go. but in comparison to movement, how important is uh, pitch velocity and spin rate to you specifically? Uh, it's it's fairly uh important um spin axis has become more of a the, the, the spin efficiency has become more of my focus because um because you don't necessarily i i feel like i feel like you get diminishing returns on or maybe the opposite of whatever that is uh, uh increasing returns uh the higher the spin rate goes so if you're not able to get your breaking ball up over three thousand, like you know 25 to three thousand is kind of generally similar but once you get above that that's when it starts to become like uh this this outlier pitch and so if you're sitting at like 25 50 you're like well, how could i get 500 more spin rate there is one way to do it but we don't do that anymore guys so uh um because you know they take our glove after every inning so uh so we uh i i'm not as worried about it as much and i'm just like this is kind of where I'm at. Um, maybe I can get a little bit of how can I make this as efficient possible? Because I'm above average on most things. Um, like I'm above average with the changeup, actually with slower spin, above average with the fastball. It's funny, the day we got, uh, they started checking for six stuff was the highest spin rates I've had all year, which was just a weird, our analytics guys were like, what do you do? What, what happened? I'm like, I have no idea. I'm so sorry. It was just, I felt good. Maybe I was a little mad too that I knew I was going to get checked. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But efficiency is definitely it. How often do you speak to the analytics guys on the team? Oh, I hang out with them all the time. They're my they're my buddies. Um, you know, I could definitely. I'm like, if I didn't, if I wasn't a player, um, and I went to college but didn't end up being like good and like uh, didn't end up like having the option of playing professional baseball, then I could have very easily been in an analytics department. Um, just because I've always loved math. It's not. 
the math isn't as involved as other jobs would have been. Um, it's it's more straightforward. It's just a lot of different numbers and and the ways that they interact with each other. That's super interesting. Um, as you guys, you know, you probably share that with me pretty sure. clearly. Um, uh, and, and I really, I just like being able to explain things and being like, this is actually what's, what's going on. Um, and I love how the people, how guys are, are, are embracing and finding different ways to, um, improve themselves and, uh, being able to tailor things for specific people. Um, you know, I, and being a player too, there is, there's always that tangible element from that, like bring it all the way back to that story at the beginning. I told there was, there had to be something in my head that clicked there. That, that's something that exists as a player. Like, there was no, like, having a general understanding of how things are moving and what could give me those strikeouts, but that's as far as it went. I still had to do it and able to do it. There's an intangible part of the game still. So I try to inject that when I have these conversations as much as possible because it's very, very easy to say, like, for example, I have a, I have a, uh, uh, he won't, I hope he, hopefully he won't kill me for, for talking about this, but uh, um, I have a, uh, uh, a, a cousin-in-law who is playing Division One baseball right now, and he is a redshirt sophomore, six foot three, left-handed, two hundred thirty-five pounds. He he walked on there, but he because he over over COVID, he rose his fastball from eighty-seven to ninety-four. Like because wow. he's a big dude, and I I I helped him with a long toss routine. He wasn't a big long toss guy. I'm like, dude, you want to throw hard, you got to throw hard. And so he got that. He got on the team, and it was great. And I hadn't talked to him since he played his first season, and he's just like, man, they. He told me about an outing where they they had him throw only he threw only curveballs, um, like literally every pitch he threw two innings of only curveballs and he had a great outing and he had a couple strikeouts, but he you know he's got a mid mid seventies curveball and I'm like and he he he's like it went well but I uh, uh, and I was like you're not happy because you're you see yourself as a power guy and you're getting pigeonholed at 19, and so I was like and I know that that comes a little yeah. bit from it might come a little bit from um you know, uh, it might come a little bit from, uh, you know, in college, you got to win. And we know a lot about like what the best, what is your, your, they, you decide what your best pitch is and then you use it to go get your results in college. Um, but you're also young <laughs> and there has to be a development element of it too. Right. And, uh, so, and, and with a very heavy, like analytics ap approach to development and things, sometimes, the you know long term like you it's very uh this is what happens in the past and this is what it shows us so this is what's going to be, be our best predictor of the future but there is at you know at what point is a player done doing new th new stuff that's never been seen from him like what where does that where is that line what age right or what what level of base you know that's that's an interesting question that i don't think it's a, sometimes can get lost um when you're like oh wow i'm I, I should let you throw your fastball because you need to get in. It can, it could be high nineties. It could be that's in there. I can see it. Um, and if you never throw it, you'll never see if you got there or not. So, um, and there's no number that'll tell you that unless you've done it before. You know, you guys understand what I'm saying? It's very, very much be based on past performance. Um, and it's very interesting. That's, I feel like I have a different view on that than maybe a lot of people in the an analyst, uh, uh, department or, uh, community that maybe haven't played, you know, seven years of Major League Baseball. 
Right. Well, I mean, it, 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 as a coach, I know that that's something where you, know, you want to develop the kid, but if the kid is uh, pitching a certain pitch well, you know, you want to go with it and win you the game. But yeah, yeah, yeah you, you know what I'm talking about. So. That's a it's a tale oldest time. It's just now yeah. there's analytics right attached to it that give you they give you even a better confidence in that that pitch is their best one. Like right. it used to be like, obviously it's your best one. We watch you do it. It's awesome, right? But now it's like, but there's also like science tells us it actually is the best one too. So that's just. Now we right. have to throw it, right? That's a very easy connection to make. Uh, it's just, it's really interesting. And it, it takes how you approach those things to like, to like continue to develop or like get opportunities is like, it's just like a different approach than before. You used to have to just prove it out there. And now there's like, you have to be like vocal and you have to like pursue it yourself. It's right, not just, right. it's, it's, it's really interesting, but I think it's actually long-term. Uh, especially like with young guys throwing five innings, right? A lot of young guys coming up, they're just throwing five innings immediately. Like, can't face the team three three times. Yeah. And those young guys have to go and be like, I am a a horse and I am an ace. I can throw CGs. You got to let me do it. Like, those guys have to do that now. They're not like, it's not going to happen unless they do that. Yeah. Uh, and, but I guess, you know, true aces would do that right so it's gonna be really interesting the next five years in the major leagues all these young guys had, uh, up. corbin burns winning the uh cy young uh, and his third time innings. third time through the third time through the order 441 era yeah you know i mean it's that uh, it's the same thing as like of course fastballs are hit harder than break like of course it is that's logic right, right? like you face a team the third time through aggregately even the bigger the bigger the uh, uh, the the sample size for that gets, the probably the bigger that discrepancy gets. I bet you the more innings they throw the third time around, the more it separates from those those first two uh, mm-hmm. from for a lot of guys. Just because, of course, there's there's fatigue and there's the third timer. All these things are there that weren't there for the first two things. Of course, like yes, that makes right. sense. Right. It's just. Uh, uh, that's when, you know, that's when the, the art of managing and, and and managing a team and playing, playing the game as players comes in. That's when the art of reaching down deep and getting the job done comes in. That's when the, the, a guy who's extremely confident versus a guy who's not extremely confident. That's when, when they're both on even playing field and all they have to do is go based on their literal emotions at that time, who wins. That's, that's the beauty of this. That's one of the beautiful things about sport um, that I love and I just love two guys with nothing left where there's no numbers now are going to tell you what's going to happen. You're just going to have to see who wants it more. Yeah. They can yeah. love that stuff. So it is the heart of, um, uh, heart of baseball. Yeah. And I hope we, I hope we preserve that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Hey, we, we've got a lot of mailbag questions that were sent in really great response from everybody. So yeah, let's do a couple. Some of these are quick answers. So, uh, let's get through them. Always honest Abe. Actually, I think I used to play softball with him when he, this guy lived in New York. Um, and uh, you know, you're you're talking about the uh, the change curve, and obviously, I'm not a major league pitcher, but my pitch is the change screwball. Maybe the change screw. Yeah, good pitch. Screwball. Anyways, uh, very effective in my league. It's all relative to your league, of course. Yeah. Uh, so here's his questions. First, who is the batter you least want to face with the bases loaded in a tie game? Oh, um, it is a very, very close between these two guys. I would say as close as it could be, but Juan Soto is no one. I know that's low-hanging fruit, but he's yeah. just like, yeah. can't strike him out. He's going to put the ball in play, and he's very good at hitting the ball very hard, um, and you're not going to fool him. And then Freddie Freeman is right behind him for those same reasons. 
Actually, actually, Jerry Blevin said the same thing. He didn't, he didn't want to face uh, Freddie Freeman. I think Freddie Freeman had a 400 batting average against the lefty specialist, Jerry Blevins. Yeah. Like, yeah. When you're a lefty specialist and a guy's left-handed and you're like, I can't get this left-handed guy out, and you're like, what's the point of me? <laughs> right. 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 Uh, uh, Zach Duke says the same thing about uh, Joe Maurer. He's like, loved it, guys. They bring me in. I go in. I give up a single to Joe, and then I go get pulled. It was great. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately for you, uh, Soto is in your division. So yeah, that's, that's they're tough. all in my division. Next question. What, <laughs> that is true. Uh, well, Freeman, uh, you never know. He'll probably stay yeah, in Atlanta. But, probably. Uh, why number 65? Uh, everyone's like, it's because you're 6'5", right? I'm like, no. Honestly, I got it. They gave it to me my first spring training. Um, I, I stuck with it. Um, I, the number I've always wanted was 54. Um, I, I, so I, I've been a big number seven my whole life. And then I was like, you know what? Uh, that's not a starting pitcher number. Then I was in the fifties all through the minors because that's the biggest Jersey on the team. Um, and that's how that works. And, uh, 54 is when I got, I was able to get several years in a row. So I was like, I like, and I always liked Ichiro and, uh, Randy Johnson, 51. So I was like, 50, 51 if it's available, Let's. but I've had 54, so let's stick with 54. I get to the big leagues, uh, Irvin Santana, 54. Uh-huh. No shot. Um, and then, so I'm like, okay, well, I got 65. This is my rookie number. I'll try to get get it uh, later. Um, and then Sergio Romo, 54. I'm like, okay. I just don't think this is going to happen. So basically, I was stuck with 65 all the way through with the uh, with the Twins. They asked me, the Mets are like, hey, you want to change your number? like off your rookie number and i go uh, uh kate my my wife okay like, what, what number should it be she's like 65 trevor i have a jean jacket with 65 in the yeah, back there you're you not go. changing your number so i'm like <laughs> i'm like you know what i'm six five it makes sense 65 is my number they gave it to me uh i have an identity now with it and we're gonna stick with it and you know what no one's ever gonna have it on a team i'm on and then it's right. funny gaselman had it and <laughs> <laughs> i'll never forget i text him a hey bro can i have your number he's like oh my god please take it can i have 44 wow. and i go uh sure uh and i asked kev uh our uh, uh equipment guy i was like can he have 44 he's like yeah sure i was like yeah dude you got it he's like oh you're the best i was like oh i thought i was gonna have to give you money or something all right cool thanks man <laughs> you want to you, you want to get rid of that thing like the plague so now nah, i got it wow. so, here we are well lindor has my number 12 so i'm not i'm not getting that on the mess yeah um, probably not no uh do you prefer day games or night games do i prefer day games or night games um Generally, night games, uh, I like consistent sleep timing. Right. So I like, uh, we had a stretch where we had like 10 straight night games. Now the Mets get night game getaway today is just about every series. So, um, but that's okay because you could sleep in. You can, you can catch up on your sleep. You can't catch up on sleep for a day game. Like once you're up, you're up. There's no, there's no catching up anywhere so limiting that a little bit is is a little bit better for me but in terms of actually playing the game i actually like playing in the sunlight like i I enjoy the game i feel like i have more energy when it's sunny so um it's a weird two two two-sided coin but um i would say generally night games right okay uh anxious two asks what is your favorite inning to pitch in do you like the fifth sixth seventh etc oh the eighth or the ninth right i love right. i love the the big like um the big you know lock it down inning i like the uh i always i i, I talked to my, my friends and stuff about it like 
our whole day is ramping up all day. Like mentally, right. we wake up, we're like, I got to pitch tonight. And then everything is like pointing towards that moment. Um, and there's stress involved, but there's also like excitement and uh, uh, um, apprehension a little bit. Like, I hope I like uh, you had you had to fight it. But uh, and you hate it all day. And then you go pitch. And you're like, I love that. Like it's so it's so weird. That's the thing I'll miss most when I'm done playing. Um, but I really love have, going out, shutting the door, to, uh, shutting the door, because there's no better like relief and and a feeling of accomplishment when you do that job. And generally, it's just get three outs. So it's like not the hardest job in the world. You can you can you can fall into success sometimes there too, and that's kind of nice. So uh, it, with the flip side of that coin is though, if you make one mistake, then everyone will hate you forever. But uh, you know, <laughs> it's just you just walk that tightrope. That's the part. But I I like. I like being able to. I like picking up Shug when he when he when he has a day off. Um, I like getting those opportunities. Um, uh, I, I've liked. I've talked about this a lot. I've. I think that being a reliever and like locking in and wanting to be a reliever, you should want to get. You should want to close because I think that will make you the best version of yourself. If that makes sense. Right. Do you feel like you pitch better in high leverage situations? Uh, yes, and I'd say that that. Um, not that I don't pitch well in no leverage. Um, because I'm pretty good at. Uh, faking that leverage in my head um, because I just don't like to fail or lose. Uh, but as I mean, no one does, but I really don't. Um, and, but I would say I've ta I would take pride in my ability, at least the last few years to strand runners, inherited runners and my own. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm really good at like, you know, giving up a single and a double and then, you know, getting out of it somehow. Um, and I had, I had quite a few of those this year too. Um, Traffic on the bases makes me better sometimes. Right. All right, here's one. Uh, can you tell us about your love for cats? And uh, does your wife send you pictures of your cats when you're on the road like Ruvain's wife does? What? All the time. Really? You, you all get the too? time. Okay, good. You you, you get that too, Ruvain? <laughs> I get it. I get it all the time. When I'm at work, I'm sitting at my desk, and I get a picture of a cat doing something. Yes, I always get that all the time. Yeah. Wow. I, I, I do it all the time. We have two cats. Um Mostly because uh, one of one of our, our older cat, her name is Elsie. She's fourteen. Uh, she was my wife's cat in high school. So oh wow, she came, to, she came to live with us when we first moved in together. Her mom's like, take the cat, and so now we have the cat. And I was like, I love. I grew up with cats. I grew up with cats. I had a dog. I had several dogs. I we were we lived a little bit in rural Washington, so like we had like four cats that would just run out into the woods and come back in the, at night for food. And then you know, sad sadly like every once in a while they wouldn't come back because we just lived in the woods so uh um but i always had cats around so i love cats but then baseball life and it's so funny because a lot of baseball players are like dogs dogs are the way except i'm like yeah but you gotta wake up at seven and go like that doesn't that doesn't equate with the baseball yeah, life Jeff man. McNeil you gotta, with his dogs right yeah like you're getting up to feed them and stuff like 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 uh, uh they're great dogs are amazing I, I cannot wait to get a dog but with the baseball life cats are just easier like you, you put the food out they, they feed themselves they they poop in a box you don't have to take them outside uh, uh they don't it's just lower maintenance you can leave them alone for two or three days and they're okay um i wouldn't recommend longer than that but yeah, they're don't okay do it. Don't generally do, don't, yeah don't don't do it longer than that it's not a good yeah. idea <laughs> maybe, maybe two, two days cats. a weekend yeah. going to vegas yeah yeah that's vegas trip just think of it the vegas trip rule um a cat could survive a, uh, uh, fine in a Vegas trip, uh, and 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 travel. Uh, traveling's huge, so we just we each take one as a carry on on the flight to spring training, and uh, we each take one on a flight uh, home from New York after. Oh, wow. And uh, that's that's how it works. That we can't have three though, because then we'll be outnumbered, and we can't take that many cats on a plane. So, right. uh, 
and I've always played like 3,000 miles from my home. So that's uh, just the way. That's that's mostly why. Um, but we added it. We added a cat. His name's Donnie. He's one now, and he's a British short hair, and he is so fat and huge, and he outweighs. He weighs three times as much as Elsie now. So he's 21 pounds, and she's seven. Wow. So wow. let's just pay, say when they when he wants she doesn't play. She's she's 14. She just hasn't played in a, in 6 years. Uh and when he wants to play, yeah, he wins. Yeah, he wins. So uh uh but yeah, love him uh and he's so cute. They're just so cute and they're always like whenever I'm gone, my I when I lay like when I lay on the couch, I have to shift my body all the time because I'm always uncomfortable because you know, I, I I'm an athlete and that's what happens. Uh and my wife can sit still for 30 minutes so they just lay on her and then ignore me. <laughs> <laughs> you just you just have to make sure if you're taping anything, like you're doing a podcast or something, or, or taping a video, they're not near your computer because they will walk all over it and screw everything up. Oh yeah, and and you should see my cable management right now. He is not allowed in here because he will he'll see all the stuff dangling. Being, there's so many toys under there, and he will just pull everything out. So yes, correct. Yeah, I have to shoo him away. But fortunately, he I'm always talking on my mic, and he thinks someone's here, so he doesn't come in here very often. He thinks like there's a stranger, and he doesn't want to. So he's, right. he's always hiding, but so that's a benefit. Last question here. Um, besides the Beat the Shift podcast, of course, what are your favorite pod streams to listen to or watch? Ooh, great pods and streams. Uh, I, I have been listening to this Smartless podcast. Like, I've listened to every episode, I think. Um, that is Jason Bateman. Oh, my Sean. God. I just had that conversation at work today, and yeah. somebody just brought that. I never heard of it before today, and there you go. Will wow. Arnett. Jason Bateman uh, uh, and Sean, uh, oh God, Sean's last name, Sean from Will and Grace, uh, right, three actors. Right. Oh my God, the the hard heavy hitters they have on this is incredible. They just had Tom Hanks, uh, uh, Jeff Daniels, uh, and, and, and and they don't know who the guests are. Like o- only one of them knows. One of them knows. Yeah, right. One of right. them. One of them pulls out the old, you know, I'm Jason Bateman. Come on my podcast, and then they go. And uh, but I I just love I love just the same way that people love hearing about like you know, our superstitions and our day in the life and stuff. I love, 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 love hearing about actors and the same thing for them, uh, all these people, and how similar they are uh, and to their characters that they play. It's hilarious. So it's it's always it's always really – and they do a good job, and, and it's funny and, and whatever. But um, And then my wife, actually, she's a huge podcaster, and we have a routine when we're getting ready for bed is where she puts on one of her podcasts. So – um, lots of like educational stuff, like, uh, uh, the history of fashion, uh, for whatever reason, I'm like, I don't know why I, I, I'm into this, but I'm so into this explaining like why pockets exist. Like that's so, where did pockets come from and how they got to where they are? That's so interesting. I don't know why I didn't never yeah. thought about it before, but it is, um, things you missed in history class. It's the same. Like, I think they have overlapping hosts. Um, and it's just literally, they pick an event and then they break it down for you. Yeah, and it's just the un- like the untold story. Untold story, exactly. And and another just like, and I, as a podcaster myself, I'm also like, what an awesome format! You're never gonna run out of stuff, ever. You could have a hundred thousand episodes, and people will still listen. Man, yeah. I should have thought of that. Right. Well, I'm definitely gonna have to check out uh, the, the the podcast with Jason Bateman. Now I got two recommendations. Smartless. 
Smart list. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, I will check that out. Um, that, that brings us to the end of the show. Uh, and before we go, well, first of all, this was a fantastic episode, Trevor. Really appreciate you coming on and giving us your insight into personal and, and into all the pitching. Uh, you know, we, we do a lot of analytics here, and, you know, you fit right in. Uh, I, I mean, uh, apparently after baseball you're going to become an, anal- an, an analyst is what you're telling Maybe. us here, right? Maybe or a pundit. I mean, I would that, love to yeah. <laughs> be. I would love to be a pundit that had a little bit of a you know idea what I'm talking about with the analytics. Like, we're getting yeah. there a little bit, but there you uh, go. sometimes that's that's lacking a bit. Uh, I did have, before we just I, if I had one question for you. Yeah. How does it feel being part of FanGraphs and possibly being a metric used to uh, 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 in arbitration <laughs> to get guys paid? Yeah, that's that, so that's... interesting. That's that's kind of neat. Um, no, that it's it, it's a great feeling when when I heard it. Wow, actually, uh, stuff that we work on here is actually being right into the system. Like they're almost going to directly be involved and calculated off it. I, it's a great feeling. I got. I listen. The very first time that my ATC projections were up on FanGraphs, and it said projections by Ariel Cohen. I'm like, oh my god, wow. I'm on that's the so site cool. and people are looking at it. It's uh, really it really is a great feeling. So uh, definitely. But it's a lot of pressure awesome. also. It's a lot of pressure. A little bit of pressure. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you know what? Some guys could just like be really mad. <laughs> well, why is my F four so low? Please, it's arbitration here. You know, I I never thought about it from the player's perspective. I just do my thing, and uh, yeah. you know, uh, computers and algorithms don't really have feelings. I just yeah, you know I yeah. do my numbers, and I, I don't sit there and you know is is this guy gonna feel bad if I project him low? I, I don't really do that. So. Yeah, well. well. <laughs> <laughs> and when it starts to affect your money, you start to care real fast. Uh, but yeah, it's very. I, I thought that was so like unprecedented and cool. So I thought I'd just bring it up. But yeah, anyway, sorry. Uh, there you go. Continue no. what your outro you were doing. No, no, awesome. No, I, well, well, uh, you know, uh, again, I wanted to thank you. Um, you could everyone know who's listening. You can follow Trevor on Twitter at I am Trevor May. Um, is there anything else you want to uh, promote? Uh, maybe your shows and other podcasts that you're doing. Uh, sure. Uh, I actually run a podcast called the may contain action podcast uh is my myself and my friend uh um action jackson as he is known on the internet on twitter or twitch because you know uh in gaming everyone's got a screen name and we uh we bring on other creators and we uh we talk about creating content youtube all that kind of stuff it's all really interesting and fun and and um we've had some really interesting people on there and uh i am actually working on um a format for the Trevor May podcast. It's come in and out a little bit um, over the years, just kind of breaking down stuff, very similar to what kind of what we did today, just like concepts and things, how I prepare. Uh, we're working on a uh, a format for that, so that will be sustainable through a season because, uh, as you can imagine, time comes at a premium there, um, and uh, I would love to be able to do something fairly consistently that would be fun to listen to. So look out for those two things. Um, and other than that, I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll – you'll get a front seat for a hundred other projects that I'm all I'm working on at the moment. Definitely. And uh, definitely check out the Trevor May baseball on uh, channel on YouTube. Uh, absolutely fantastic stuff. Uh, Trevor breaking down pitches, other pitchers uh, himself and, and goals for the year. And uh, it's just absolutely worth a listen. One of the best uh, baseball YouTube channels out there. So everyone check Thank that you. out. Thank you. Um, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, Ruvain, uh, why don't you just uh, tell us uh, where we can uh, see your stuff? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates throughout the course of the season and the offseason. Um, I'm going to be starting going over some in- offseason injuries and what to expect from the players in the upcoming season starting mid-December. And I also have a weekly injury article on Rotoballer during season. 
All right, my name's Ariel Cohen, and you can see my work over at Fangraphs. The ATC projections will be out in just a couple of short months. Of course, uh, according to Fantasy Pros, the ATC projections were the most accurate projections for the last two years in a row uh, since uh, they've been reviewing my work. So definitely worth checking out. That'll be up just in time for your fantasy drafts coming up soon. All right, well, once again, thanks again to Trevor May for joining the show. And from all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.